0: For, for things. And so I love Epic Life because it's kind of a, an excuse for us to do some really fun and crazy things that uh, most people look kind of weird at. So uh, tonight we have an awesome night. We're talking about Jesus as a warrior. And so this is uh, an evening where we get a lot of excuses to bring out things. Let me, let me show off a little bit here. This is an actual machete from El Salvador. It is sharp. And we had just a group of guys party where we took these things and people threw grapefruit at us. And we just, you know, sliced grapefruit for hours. It was amazing. Uh, I like collecting a couple swords. Uh, This is like a samurai sword, which is kind of cool. But wait, there's more. Look at that, huh? (laughs) You know, you didn't see that coming. Uh, Gotta love, you gotta love the viking sword. This has got a whole Viking helmet. Any guys here been to our Viking barbecue? Yeah. It's another thing. We're, it's an all-guys evening where we have about $300 worth of fine meat, and we eat meat with our hands, and we race dirt bikes. We arm wrestle. I think there's some photos from it here, and we do all sorts of crazy things. So Viking uh, sword. We have the, the Viking helmet. It's, it's unbelievable. This is my most recent uh, Christmas gift here, and this is an, a legitimate Maasai warrior sword spear from Africa. My wife and, and her grandma went to Africa, and they got me this for Christmas, and I was like, I just I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was so fascinated. I want to get that spray like in CSI. They can tell if there's blood on it somewhere. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, but this is amazing. I love this. Uh, and then probably one of my, the old goodies is the donkey Wamper. Uh, the donkey Womper is a three-man slingshot where you can hurl anything about 100 yards through the air at any object. People don't get the donkey Womper a little bit. It sounds a little more politically correct in church than ass kicker. So that's kind of why we call it that. So this is a, a great, great tool. So I love this stuff. And so what I'm excited about tonight is that that we get to dive into Jesus as warrior. And the Bible, as we look through, it has all this imagery about this battle and this fighting and this armor and these weapons and the forces and it's, it's all this stuff. And so a lot of us like to kind of make Jesus this really, you know, kind of politically correct, never made any waves. When, when you study the scripture, you see that he was a bad A. He was like on it. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So before I hyperventilate, let's pray and I'll calm down and be a little less excited. All right. So God, we just invite you here. God, we expect for you to move tonight in this place. We expect you to reveal your scriptures. And Lord, as we study who you are, we just pray that we would, God, take hold of all that you have for us. We pray of all the things that are in this book and in our lives and things that we've heard and said. We just pray that, God, that you would speak now and that you would bring application to our lives, that you would move us and strengthen us to know you more. In, the, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, the, the passage tonight we're going to look at is, is Mark chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll share another really kind of cool thing. Is When I was up in Portland, uh, up for Christmas, or actually New Year's, we went to a, a friend's house. And this is a business guy who's been pretty successful. And we go to his house, right? And his house is just sweet. He's obviously done very, very well. In business, and so we go downstairs, and he has this video arcade room where he has about 30 1980s video arcade games. And you go to the next room, and there's like about 30 Nerf guns. I picked up like this Nerf machine gun, it was just like blowing people away. It was amazing, these like Nerf guns. And so we were all having this great time, and then he's like, oh, this is the best part. And so he goes over this little light switch, flips up the cover, and there's a little button, and he pushes this button and over down on the wall, this bookcase slides open, and I was like, oh, no way, and you go in there, and he has a cigar lounge in his house, trapped between this sliding bookcase, and inside he has weapons and all sorts of collectibles from all around the world, like, oh, I went to Italy, and I found this at the Tortured Museum or something, and uh, he has, like, these amazing things in there, and I just was just, like, all over it, and, uh, it it just it was amazing, and this guy loves Jesus, and, and I got to have some individual conversations with him, and so he just like, man, I just I love Jesus, and he just empowered me to live the life that I want to live, and sometimes I can take funny courses, and and he's really into Star Wars figurines and collectibles. He had every single valuable collectible there, and, and so I love his passion for Jesus, and I love his passion even more for life, and how that comes about is breaking free of all the things that would hold us back. Breaking free of the guilt, breaking free of the, the minimalizing of, of God, minimalizing our potential. And so we're going to deal tonight, as we look at Jesus as a warrior, we're going to also talk about the counterpart, the one that would try and, and steal and kill and destroy. So Mark chapter 5, this is verse 1. It says, They went across the lake to the region of Gerenice's, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tomb to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No man was strong enough to subdue him. Now, real quick, just pause. This is a man that was infested with a demon and had superhuman strength from the exterior. That he was able to do these things and no man, no physical man could contain him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Notice that Jesus didn't make the first move there. Jesus was just there. This man who is cutting himself with stones, living in tombs, breaking chains, breaking iron, comes, and he runs and he falls on his knees in front of him. and says, he shouted at the top of his voice, and says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. That's all that Jesus had to do to take hold of this man. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? The demon-possessed man said, My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. we got to understand that the demonic forces, the enemy is going to take all sorts of shapes and sizes. It's not ever going to be the same. It's not always going to be the same from one person to the next, and it gets more and more tricky. He says, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Holy cow. Jesus said about seven words here. And the demon-possessed man came forward, and he, he knew that his number was up. He acknowledged that Jesus was, was Lord and Son of God. And he fell before him and asked to not torture him. So he cast him the pigs, and the, the pigs were drowned. And it's this, this amazing feat of Jesus, and he was so calm. He said directly, and he took authority and said, You come out of that man. And the demons listened. This is a story of amazing authority that Jesus has over the powers of darkness. And this is what we have for us, as we'll see. As we look through the entire Bible, we notice that Jesus warns about the enemy, warns about these other things. What does he say? He says that, I send you out as what? Sheep. Among what? Wolves. Right? says he prowls around, around like a lion to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. He didn't say, he's going to come by and give you some hangnails. He didn't come by and say, he's going to give you bad days or bad hair days. He said, he's going to come and steal to kill and destroy. I, I don't know what else could be worse than that. Throughout the entire Bible, and, and I'll spare us from going through, if you just read the Bible, you see how passionate Jesus is about the amazing power of the opposite side to wreck you. Also, when you start reading through their you read Jesus' miracles and you hear about the things he's doing and, and all along the time he's very mysterious. He says, I, I'm not staying here for long. I have to leave. I have to leave. Why don't we take a look at one of those instances. Turn to John chapter 16. It's a few books forward. John chapter 16, verse 7. And while you're turning there, I want you guys to know that the expectation for the Messiah, in Jewish culture, the expectation for what Jesus was, was not this, this man who came and, and fed the poor and you know, clothed the, the naked and all these things. Like They were expecting this guy to come here and to beat down the rulers and the governments. They expected the Messiah to be this political leader. And that was the expectation. And so Jesus comes here and he is born in humble beginnings and he lives and he's as a carpenter and he's this, this man who... It speaks these proverbs and this wisdom, and it it just didn't match up. And so, you know, the disciples are anticipating this guy's gonna go and kick some butt, right? And he keeps on referring to how he has to go. And he says this in John chapter 16, verse seven. It says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, which this is referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's saying, I have to go. If I don't go, you will not have the Holy Spirit with you. And we'll see why that's important. Also, it's important to notice that he says because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I think it's interesting. He said he didn't say the king of this world. He said the prince. The prince has no power. Like Prince Harry, what does he do? Nothing, right? A prince has no authority over the land. He is a figurehead. He is an object of paparazzi. He is just a a famous individual. I think it's interesting he mentions that. He says that unless I go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But when it does come, you are going to kick some serious A. You are going to do an amazing battle. And here's what's amazing, too, is that this is what he's really referring to, is that he is saying that when I go, that I will break the separation between man and God. For thousands of years, there's a separation between man and God. I'll give you a quick little lesson on this. So the the Jews, they had this huge tabernacle, they had this temple, Right? And they had this, this veil, and that separated, like, the general place of worship to the Holy of Holies. It's like these huge curtains, and let's say that that's the curtain, and behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies, where God dwells. It it's signified where God's presence was with them in a physical location. And the Holy of Holies was so holy that no one could go in there. Only one person, the most righteous and holy priest, at one time per year, which was Yom Kippur, to do one thing. And he was to go in there and to make a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. Once a year, he would come in. And once a year, he would give a sacrifice. So that, that veil, I, I studied this, this was fascinating. This veil is made out of goat hair. And it's just not this little flimsy, little kind of velvety you know, veil there. This is eight inches thick 66 feet tall, and 33 feet wide, okay? It's massive, made of goat hair. What the heck, you know? But it is is huge. I had no idea it was that gigantic. And so it, it was such the righteous place of God that when the priest would go in there once a year, they would attach bells to him and a rope around his waist. And so the priest would go in there and he'd bring this, this offering to sacrifice on the altar. And so every other people would sit there and listen. And if he got knocked off by God, they'd hear the bells hit the ground and they'd pull him back out. That's the nature. That is the access that man had to God at that time. For thousands of years. So, when Jesus goes on the cross, and you can read this wherever you go in, in, the, in the scriptures. And it says, when Jesus breathed his last, it did what? About the temple veil? Vale. Torn too, which didn't seem that big of a deal to me until I learned about how thick and huge and massive this thing was. Scholars say it would take years and dozens of people all working on this thing at once to build this veil. I mean, it's gigantic. And the moment that Jesus died, that veil split from end to end and this marks the Holy Spirit coming here and giving us direct access and relationship with God. No longer are we separated by this holy of holies and the unholies. Now we have direct access to God. We now have direct access to the power that Jesus had. So, what happened? When Jesus died, all of sin, this is important, all of sin, every single thing, aspect, area of sin was defeated. When Jesus died and was hung on the cross, he was that blood sacrifice. He was that atonement for all of us, for all generations. No longer an animal, no longer one high priest. God sent his son to go and pay for the sins of all of humanity, once and for all. And so at that very moment, every last sin, every single thing, every last thought was defeated. It was paid for in full. You are declared righteous because of it. At that moment and and for all eternity, those who seek God have that. We are also, we given keys. Remember Jesus said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. The promise for the Holy Spirit to come to us means that we now have access to do battle ourselves against the enemy because the Holy Spirit no longer dwells in a holy of holies, but it dwells within our hearts. And we can now extend the entire power of Jesus' blood to defeat anything that is before us. That's great news, right? Come on, Right? All right, cool. is this thing on? So, here's what happens. In our life, we go and we develop just life experiences. And because of our sin nature, because of we are fallen, is that we develop strongholds. We develop things that trap us and things that ensnare us. And for a long time, there was an instance in my family that I allowed to take root and it was a stronghold in my life. It was a stronghold of harm and bitterness. I had things that were done to me, things that I witnessed, things I experienced for years. And I allowed it to take root into my life. And I totally just was like, oh, I'll just give it to God, whatever. You know, oh, I'll just, I'll just kind of press it down. I never gave it any, like, credibility. And I just, it, it wounded me horribly. But I just would never allow it to come out and never really deal with it. I just totally minimized the effect that it had on my life. And so I pushed it down. I just pretended like there was nothing else going on. And so for years, I, I, I dealt with this. And I, I pretended that it wasn't there. But you know what? If I'm really honest, now that I've been free of that, I look back and I actually liked that stronghold in my life. I actually liked that bitterness. Why? Because it kind of gave me some power. It kind of gave me some manipulation. It gave me an ax to grind, a chip on the shoulder, an ability to say that someone owes me something and I liked it. Though the enemy would use that stronghold and put it into my life to cause bitterness and to fester and to rot, As I began to like it in a sick, twisted way. I think a lot of us in here probably have our own little pet strongholds that we want to be liberated from. We don't want this experience. We want these things to be over or healed, but yet at the same time, we're enticed by some advantages that come along with it. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that presence in our life, that it's not like we are being pillaged and we, we hate what's going on. Is like there are access areas of our life that we, we feed into the enemy and we actually sell parts of ourselves to the enemy. It's very powerful when we do that. When we actually put ourselves into position and we go and plan our compromise, we are selling pieces of our existence, our souls to the enemy to take root and take home. And I liked it. I liked playing the victim. And it wasn't until I went through a session and I was challenged that someone was going to pull it all out of me. And they gave me this sheet and they gave me this, this entire thing of like all these words and feelings and things. And so I had this homework to like write down every single thing that I felt about this particular issue. I filled up like three pages. And it was this wrenching, horrible thing, but until I was able to actually acknowledge it and see the damage that it caused my life and actually trace it back and look at it And say, this is what I feel. And I gave it to God in specificity. Then it was lifted. But until that point, it was this thing that just kind of toiled and festered. And it was horrible. But looking back on it, I see the demonic power that it had over me because I wasn't fully ready to commit it. So, I want to turn it over to the tables for a moment. I want to give you guys an access to talk about some things. Now, these things these experiences, sometimes they can come from mistakes. Sometimes they can come from missed opportunities or regrets or gosh darn, you're home. Your life upbringing, you got dealt a bad hand of cards. And so you have things that you've, you've drug along the way. But I want to ask, maybe share at your table and do two things here. One, I want you to go around and say like, man, there's something I really regret that happened in life that I did. You don't need to get super crazy and, and huge, but but say like, man, this is something that I wish I could go back on that had consequences to my life. Can we do that for a moment? You can keep it as as little as a regret, a mistake, or something you could redo, but something that has caused something for you to kind of pay for in life a little bit. You know, that's something that sticks with you. So we'll turn it to you guys for just a few minutes, and I'll, I'll direct you from there. Alright, I want to take it up one more notch. Sorry, we, we can keep talking, but what I want to do here real quick is I want to take this up one more notch, and I want to take it into a notch that will be a little more private. Is I want you to take a sheet of paper that's on here, and we have pens coming around, and without anybody else looking, this is for you and you alone, is I want you to write down a couple things. And I can't stress how critical it is that you are honest and critical that you are real with yourself. No one else is going to be looking. This is only for you. You don't need to share any of this. But what I want you to do is I want you to write down privately what are some of the things that have access in your life. Do you have life experiences? Do you have things that have stirred you to jealousy, to anxiety, to fear, to bitterness? Do you have things in your life that have happened? Are there areas, addictions, are there things in your life that you know that the enemy is kind of using against you? Is there a relationship? Is there a computer? Is there a bottle? Is there a person? Is there what? What is there? You can take a minute and be honest and write down some things. And this is important because we're going to come back to this on a personal level. Is there the areas in which you think that there is an access, there's a foothold, there's an opportunity, there's a weakness, there's a chink in the armor that is within you, and don't be skimpy on it. If you got a lot, write down a lot. If you need more paper, we'll get you more paper. So, but it's important that you're real. Alrighty. So, the good news, I'm here to deliver the best part of the entire night, is those things that you wrote down, that battle is already won. Do you know those, every little last thing you wrote down there, that is not a battle that is happening in the heavenly realms. That is something that is taking dominion here, that the prince, the prince that has fame but has no power, has tricked you. He's totally duped you my wife is a horse veterinarian. Horses are amazing creatures. They're huge. How heavy are they, sweetie? They're like 1,000 pounds. They're gigantic. My wife has a horse that's like 9,000 pounds. It's just, (laughs) I fear that it's going to bite my head off anytime. And the, the crazy thing is, I don't get this, is that we have these horses fooled. They think that we're in control. I mean, like, I weigh, like, a buck sixty, and there's this, like, thousand-pound horse, and I have this little dinky rope, and he thinks that I'm in control. He can just run and stampede and go wherever he wants. But yet we have these animals totally fooled that we're running the show, that we're totally calling the shots. They have no idea that we are weak and empty and unable to stop them. You are being duped. You're being duped by these things on this paper to think that those have actual eternal power over you. The reality of it is, if we believe in this book, if we believe what Jesus did on the cross, is those things are facades. And But the tricky part is, remember when I told you about the stuff that I kind of liked? You find advantages in it. I found it to be kind of like these chains. These chains... You put on you at a time they hurt but what's like working out you carry these around with you for long enough it suddenly doesn't become heavy anymore in fact you kind of strut around you know look at me you know no you know you you carry these around and suddenly the chains that you hold and you carry around suddenly become normal and you forget that they're there you forget about how amazing it is when they're gone and something in you is telling you that these are wrapped all around you. Something in you is telling you that these are bound by my legs, bound my arms, around my neck, and you carry them around and you think that there's no way out. When in reality, it's, it's all a show. It's all a trick. If we believe in the redemptive power, in the power that Jesus has over every demonic force, every principality of darkness, with a word to break it, and that that power is now ours, then we are believing a lie to say that we can't break through these things. And we're going to get into that here in a moment. Do you know how they, they train elephants? This is amazing. Our, uh, Stephanie and Sal are talking about this this morning. They train elephants when they're a baby. They chain them by the leg. And they take that chain and they put a, a stake in the ground. And so the baby can't move and can't move at all. And they get used to whenever there's something on their leg that they automatically know that they can't break it. They know that, that they, they can't break free of it. And so what they do is they get used to it. And they begin to understand that when this thing is on my leg, I can't move at all. And so as they grow up, they remove the hindrance, and they have that thing on the leg, and the elephant doesn't even think that it can do anything. This massive, huge creature that can stampede and go crazy and do whatever the heck it wants suddenly has been manipulated and, and chained into an idea That's not real. But that is the power that the enemy has over us, is that his greatest tool is his deception to think that he has control, to think that he has the power, to think that he has a say in it all. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Now we get to the butt-kicking part. So what to do with all this? We talked about Jesus. We talked about his power immediately with his words to defeat the enemy, to do whatever he wants with the whisper of his words. We talked about how Jesus said that I must go so that you may have life and you may have power and I will give you the Holy Spirit so that we would have that power. Talked about his blood being the covering, the atonement for our sins. So no longer are these sins that we wrote down, these strongholds, these areas of our life, no longer do we need to pay for these. They've already been paid. Talked about how the axis between us and God is broken that he lives and dwells within us. As you read the entire Bible, the entire scriptures, especially we're reading Paul, talks about battle and armor and warfare. And this is an amazing verse. This is chapter 6, verse 11. Actually, let me start at 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Other translations say, stand firm. And that the, the idea behind that is not to stand firm, but it's really to know who you are. It's not saying, be strong, like muscular song. It's like, be strong as a human being of knowing your identity and knowing who you are and knowing the truth. That's being strong. And knowing the truth is knowing that Satan has already been defeated. Knowing that your sins have already been paid for. That is being strong. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, listen here, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There it is, calling out the battle. Therefore, listen up, Put on the full armor of God. Notice he didn't say put on some of the armor of God. Put on a piece of the armor of God. He says put on the full, 100%, all the armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Right? So we have this Blueprint right here. Let me read it one more time, just so you got it. The belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in with which you can extinguish, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God got it? So on your table, I've printed up a few things here, and it it marks out the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet, helmet, sword, shield, right? So this is something I want you to take a couple notes on real quick, and I want you to put it in your Bible. You don't, you don't need to, I'm not going to give you bullet points, but I just want you to, like, make a memory of these things, because this is where we do battle. A lot of people say, oh, I don't know what to do, I don't do it. It's clear in here. When we look about how to deal with the enemy, and he gives us exact instructions about what to do, we should listen. So, let's talk about the belt of truth. The belt of truth, what does that mean? This really has to do with reproduction. Ironically. Um, the, the Greek in the original text says, gird up your loins, your loins, you know, you know what that is your loins, the fruit of your loins, you know, twigs and berries, or I guess twig and berry or your, your, your wedding tackle, you know, like, you know, you you're, you're holy, you know, your loins, right? Gird up your loins. That is the belt of truth. That is what it's there for. All right. So everybody have a laugh, right? So, but here is where it makes a difference. Here is why it all comes together, is that it's about reproduction. Not about sex, but it's about replicating disciples and seeding the truth to others. Girding up your loins, protecting yourself, and getting ready is about multiplying the gospel, multiplying the truth, multiplying Jesus. The belt of truth, girding your loins... We see that truth in our culture has been so distorted. You cannot have perversion of reproduction. It is the unadulterated truth of the gospel that he's asking us to gird up and to multiply. What does that mean for you? Maybe that means that you invest yourself into somebody else's life. Have you ever thought that someone in this room needs you right now? Somebody in this room needs the encouragement that you have to offer? Someone needs to hear a word of truth that you have for them? Have you ever thought about that? That we are here, we're to gird our loins, we are to put on the belt of truth, which means that we are to bring the gospel and multiply it. Next, the breastplate of righteousness. We, uh, check out this breastplate. This thing is awesome. The breastplate of righteousness. What does this mean? It has everything to do about your heart. I think our culture has done an amazing good job of whoring out our heart to all sorts of things. Our hearts are like prostitutes. That we sell our hearts into the love of money, into the adoration of people, into possessions, into relationships. We sell it. We give it away. And God is asking for it to be His. God wants our hearts to be sold out for Him. But what do we do is we, we begin to piecemeal it out. How about idolatry? We talked uh, several weeks ago about the role of idolatry in our lives and how stuff, and the object of stuff, and the pursuit of stuff, whether it's a career or a car or a person, or a relationship, or anything, is that those things become the object of our hearts. And so God's saying, put on a breastplate of righteousness. Pursue and desire those things of your heart that are righteous. And guard the things that are not. Don't fill your heart out with things that are not eternal and righteous. Don't whore out your heart to those things. He's saying, if you want to be protected from the enemy, than to put on the shield because when stuff gets in there, when things get in your heart, what goes in your heart ultimately leads to your behavior. That you will begin to make judgments, decisions, behavioral actions based on the desires of your heart. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. You have this huge horse and you pull the reins and you can direct a horse anywhere it goes by this little tiny thing. So is our heart. So he's saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And protect your heart. Ladies, don't sleep with guys before you're married. Guys, don't take advantage. Be guarded in your heart. Be jealous for where your heart goes. Be jealous that God desires all of your heart. Your feet, fitted for readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. My wife brought my basketball shoes you fellows will be seeing lots of these next week, okay? Um, I didn't realize I was so superstitious, but I don't think I am, but I have refused to get anything but Michael Jordan with the logo shoes my entire life. I, I've, like, insisted on that these are the shoes. This is the logo I have to have on my feet if, for whatever reason. It's like it gave me a whole new conf- uh, confidence. I couldn't go out there wearing you know Adidas or something, or I don't know. It, it's just weird. It's just how funny that I identified shoes based on my performance. I thought I could run faster, jump higher, and I could, frankly. No, but <laughs> I sold myself on the idea of, of shoes with basketball. And so when it talks about fitting for readiness for the gospel of peace, your shoes equip you to go wherever you need to go. And I think oftentimes, when we look at the strongholds of the enemy and the the role of battle is oftentimes our ability to move and to change. Direction and location are key. If you're in a place and that place is causing you unbelievable temptation, unbelievable compromise, then get your tail out of there. If you have a, a struggle with alcohol, don't go to the bar to eat peanuts. It doesn't make any sense. Like You have shoes to get out of there. And so you are equipped with fitted shoes to be able to move you wherever you need to go. And so this is a command saying that you have been empowered to lead the context in which you are tempted. You are empowered to make a decision to leave and to move and to go where you need to. We are not immobile. We are not stuck. If we're struggling, then we need to move and pick up. The helmet of salvation. I love it. This is probably the stupidest thing I ever bought. But it's worth every last penny because it is a Viking helmet, right? You got to have one of these if you're going to throw a Viking barbecue. It has only one use, which is this (laughs) barbecue. But the helmet of salvation. How many of us in this room wonder that our behaviors, the things that we wrote down, those things that drag us down, have somehow jeopardized our salvation. That is a lie from the enemy. That when Jesus paid the price, that your salvation, if you have asked for forgiveness and you ask Jesus to come to your heart, you are eternally purchased for Christ. Your salvation is not in jeopardy. And so he's saying, protect your head. You know, your head is the most important thing, right? So goes your head, you're dead. Didn't mean that to rhyme. But your salvation is secure. Stop worrying that you are somehow out of the will of God and somehow have done something to get yourself out of God's fold. And so he's asking you, put on the helmet of salvation, knowing that your salvation is secure. Thinking and moving in the mindset of Christ is that you want to make your mind an object that desires to think the way that Christ thought. Do the things that Christ did. You want to transform your way of thinking. Be renewed by what? Your mind. Your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So put on the helmet of salvation. Know that your salvation is secure. Next, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. The Word of God, right here. This, if you notice, out of all this armor, is that this is your only offensive weapon. Everything else is for your protection. We're talking about battle. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, that this is what you do battle with. If you fear or have anxiety or depression or you have issues, you look in here. This is your weapon. I meet with a guy, and he has virtually this entire thing memorized, and it drives me nuts. You can't ask him about anything, and he'll give you like 45 verses, Old Testament and New Testament, where where you can find that. It's amazing. His ready knowledge to fight any lie that the enemy has comes through here. And we know that when Jesus was tempted, when he first started his ministry, the devil, Satan, tried to tempt him. And what Jesus did was he answered him back with the word of God. He answered back with scripture. So when you have the lies that are coming to you and saying, you are worthless, you are not going to amount to anything, you are X, Y, Z, is that you counter with this. This is your offensive weapon. Now, with that said... You guys heard the expression, fall on your sword? The sword has an opposite effect too. You notice that when Satan was tempting Jesus, Satan was also quoting scripture, right? Saying that the angels are so concerned, you throw yourself off this building, and the angels will make sure you do not harm yourself. And so, unfortunately, that we have the power to do battle with with the word of god but also we have the power to do harm how many people are protesting i my office is down by the capitol and there's a guy that has this huge uh sign he's converted his entire truck into the sign and it says homosexuals are going to hell that is a distortion and a manipulation of the word of god You can do this for anything. You can take a little verse out of here, and you can completely take it out of context, and you can do damage with God's word. If you've messed up, and someone comes to you, and they just totally just ramrod you, and and lay all this guilt and all this condemnation over you out of the word of God, that is not God's purposes. God's purpose is to fight the enemy with this. Your answers are found in here, not your condemnation. Your answers to homosexuality, your answers to alcoholism, your answers to pornography, to immorality. Everything is found in here. This is not a book in which it condemns. It is one that liberates. It's a f- sword that frees you. So this is our weapon. And finally, the shield of faith. And this is the one that we use. I think if we look through all of these. We probably would say that the shield... I can pick this up. The shield, this is our go-to weapon right here. I think all of us do a pretty good job holding this one up. The shield of faith, right? Oh, man, just have faith. Just have faith that it'll all work through, right? You don't tell people, say, look in the word of God and fight that lie with the promises of God. I say, just have faith, right? Let's think about this. The shield is a defensive tactic, if you want to fight a lie of the enemy, you don't use faith. This is for defense. If you want to beat down the enemy, you use something like this. You use the word of God. You will never defeat the enemy by having more faith because it's not supposed to be like that. Faith is supposed to deflect the arrows. If you want to beat down the enemy and kick his tail, you use this guy. And you answer the lies from there. A buddy who was talking to me, he's like, he had a, a, a vision about this passage, about the shield. About the enemy coming off and having the sword and just continually beating and, and you could stand here and you could whack me with that sword and I could stand here for a couple minutes. But eventually, that sword is stronger than, than this. And you're eventually going to break through the shield. And then you're vulnerable for everything else. And in his vision, he was saying, that God was yelling to him, pick up the sword, swing, do something. But I think all of us are always in this defensive mode. We are always cowering back, and we just think that only if we had more faith, if only you had more faith, you can't attack the devil with faith. This is to defend, says the flaming arrows of the enemy. I think it's important to know that we stop living by the rules defined by the enemy. We don't need to play by his rules. We've just gone through the scripture, and I'd say for most of my life, stay, I've used this as battle, which is not a very effective offensive strategy. You don't see people going into battle, and they're just, you know, pushing a wall forward. They take on the offense. And I've spent a lot of time trying to defend And it's time for us, if we want to get serious about these things, it's time to take up the fight. And we look at this and we see the blueprint, the security of our salvation, the protection of the jealous heart, the belt of truth where we multiply God's truth, the sword of the Spirit, His word, and defend with our faith. The band can come up now. We're going to wrap up. And I want to leave you guys with this is I want to give you guys permission to fight. I want to give you guys the ability to do battle. Now, I want you to take those little sheets of paper that you had, and I want you to put them in your hand. And I want them to grab it with two hands here. The battle is already won. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated every last thing that we have written here. So I want you to take that paper, hold in two hands, hold it a little high, right? And on the count of three, we are going to rip these things. Alright? One, two, three. Oh, that is a cool sound. Let's rip it one more time. Let's go the other way, right? One, two, three. Broken, 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 broken. It is a trick. You are liberated from those things you are ready to do battle not through the old conventional warfare but by the blueprint that God gave us I'm tired of hearing people say just give it to God I frankly am I'm tired of people saying give it to God and do jack squat that's not what he's called us to do he said I have given you every last thing to do every last deed you need to do to fight this SOB so do it Right? So I want you guys to feel liberated that this is a scam. To think that you are entrapped. That you are defined by your mistakes and defined by your shortcomings. If you don't define yourself by truth, then by default, Satan is going to define you by your mistakes. And define you by sin. Got that? If you don't define yourself by truth, by God's promises by salvation, by guarding your heart, if you don't define yourself by those things, then you've left the only definition to be the enemy who will define you by lies. Those things are not you. Those are lies. And so we are entering a new chapter here within this community to pursue with these chains off of us. They don't need to be there. So tonight as we Lift our voices and we sing. We're going to have people over here and, and we'd love to pray with you. There is so much power in prayer. If you have something that you wrote there and you're like, man, I just need to be liberated from this. We want to pray with you and say, this is gone, it's broken. Let's pray for a new path to forge ahead. No longer defensive and back on your feet, but, but charging ahead with this thing and together. Why don't we all stand? So God, we just commit this evening, Lord, We commit what you did on the cross for us. And God, we believe you for what you did for us. And God, we just deny any identity that we have put ourselves into. God, our iniquities, our sins, our mistakes. God, we just cast those down and we just claim, God, that we are your children, righteous and holy before you. Warriors, just like you were, Lord. And I pray that tonight, if anything else, that God, we would have a brand new sense of the power that we have. A brand new sense that we can just say the words and the enemy would be defeated. God, give us that boldness. Give us that confidence. Give us that truth, we pray, Lord. Would you mold us and strengthen us, God? We pray that we would not be a generation that just cops out and says that we'll give it to you that we would bring it before you, Lord, and we would take up arms with you, and that we would forge ahead, no longer standing in place, playing defense, that we would take up offense. So we commit it to you, God. We ask for a move, God, of your spirit in our lives, and that you would strengthen us and bolster us and make us, God, who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing, and you need prayer, be free. Be free to let God to do whatever he wants to do in your heart. If you want to raise hands, if you want to be liberated tonight in worship, we want you to do that. There's no shame. There's no reason we can't. So let's do it.